Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. At the end of the previous program, I referred to this situation in the greater Taos, New Mexico area. And this Islamist compound was raided and 11 children, 5 adults were taken into custody. And the remains of a little boy who would have had his fourth birthday was discovered, recovered. Now, this little boy has an interesting lineage. His daddy, who kidnapped him from a home in Georgia back at the end of last year, at which time a national manhunt began, which culminated here with this raid outside of Taos. Well, that daddy is the son of a notorious imam who (laughs) was an unindicted co-conspirator in the 1993 World Trade Center bombing that took place under the watchful gaze of the Clintons of Bill and Hill and Albert Arnold Gore Jr. This daddy who took his little boy, three-year-old, from this home in Georgia, he was training, indoctrinating these children that were old enough, not not the one-year-old, but those that were old enough, he was training them to commit violent, murderous, terrorist attacks aimed at schools, public schools, banks, and other institutions. And the prosecutor, John Loveless, he stated in his appeal to this judge, 8th District Judge Sarah Bacchus, in his appeal to her, he warned that the defendants were capable of future violent actions. That, quote, this family was on a mission and it was a violent one and it was a dangerous one. But he failed to persuade this illustrious judge, and so she denied his request, denied the motions to hold the defendants, that is, to hold the adults at least, 
And uh, she gave an exceedingly low bail. She set the bail at an exceedingly low amount. But despite that, ironically, the leader of this, this Siraj Ibn Wahaj, remains in custody due to terrible ice. <laughs> you know, uh, that terrible, horrible group. Uh, but this Siraj, wonderful fellow, who is the son, again, of this Brooklyn imam, Siraj Wahaj. Well, another key defendant is also retained in custody, and that is, I'm probably mispronouncing, Janie Lavelle, a Haitian native, and he is being held by U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement. And this despite, despite the great good works of this judge, this wonderful judge. Uh, the reason that the daddy is being held is little matters that he kidnapped the little boy. And so he's being held courtesy of a warrant from the state of Georgia, an outstanding warrant, something that this judge had no control over. But again, she set the bail for $20,000. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the bail system, but the actual amount that has to be posted is a fraction of the amount that's set for bail. And according to the words of one person, it makes it out as if no money actually had to... uh, change hands here, uh, which I I find that hard to believe, but nonetheless. So what about this wonderful judge, Judge Sarah Bacchus? Judge Sarah Bacchus, who's from the San Francisco area, who was a deputy public defender there, and then rose up, was promoted, courtesy of being such a wonderful public defender, uh, to deputy attorney general in San Francisco. She was doing such a bang-up job of defending violent criminals, they decided to make her an attorney general so that she could take care of both functions in, from one position, namely by non-prosecution and, uh, of the evil, that is. Now, that's my take on it. But if you knew anything about San Francisco, and you may know more than I know, even though that's where I'm from, I think you'd understand. But Bacchus was originally appointed to this position, originally appointed to the bench back in June of 2011, so just over seven years ago. And who is it who appointed Democrat Bacchus? Well, a sister, if you will. You know, Republican Governor Susanna Martinez. But hey, Republican doesn't matter. She was promoting a woman. So it was very sisterly. So she promoted her. 
to this position, appointed her to this high and mighty position. But now Susanna Martinez has had cause for repentance, if you will. She issued a statement after the hearing which, in which these defendants are being released, saying that she strongly, strongly, you know, strongly disagreed with the outcome and with Judge Bacchus's decision. And she stated the following, quote, Unfortunately, it highlights how extreme the New Mexico Supreme Court has been in dictating pre-trial release for all kinds of dangerous criminals, end quote. Now, do you imagine that if these people were claiming to be, oh, I don't know, patriotic members of a militia that they would have been released on next to no bail? I think not. Uh, that's just my, my guess. What if they were claiming to be some Christian sect, you know, like the Davidian brethren there of David Koresh? Would they have been released? Probably not. But uh, being Muslims definitely didn't hurt their case here with this good Democrat judge. Yes, the nation is in such good hands. You know, there are so many people, but as forgetting public statements that are made, there's so many people, chiefly conservatives of whatever denomination, and I'm not referring to religious denominations, conservatives of whatever variety, whether they happen to be Republican, independent, perchance even Democrats, though that is definitely an oxymoron, but who take great pride and solace in the rule of law. Oh, the rule of law. They're champions of the rule of law. The rule of law is so important. It's all important. It trumps everything else. It's foundational to free society, to safe society, to peace and prosperity. Well, folks, it doesn't matter what you want to call it. Call it the rule of law. But when you have corrupt individuals in positions that determine the outcomes of the rule of law, corrupt individuals who create the laws, a typical title for a politician, for a congressman, for a senator, in the federal government, but also governors and state senators, and state representatives, and the list goes on. But it really, truly, if it is going to be accurate, it has to include all of the staff members of the U.S. senators, of the U.S. congressmen and women, and at the state level, and all the bureaucrats, 
These are the lawmakers. And we have, oh, I don't know, uh, something to the tune, you know, of light years beyond a comprehensible amount of law. And our laws crisscross here, there, and the other, and they pervert justice. They create miscarriages of justice. And they allow for everything to be at the subjective whim and prerogative of unrighteous, ungodly judges. Those who are perhaps would perhaps be viewed as not being unrighteous. I mean, they would take great umbrage at that, at being unrighteous. They're not unrighteous. They're just, you know, this, that, and the other thing. When they take their responsibilities so capriciously and arbitrarily, when they overturn justice and judgment, when they endanger the population as a whole, and especially the most vulnerable within that society, they are utterly unrighteous and unfit. But I know those who, who are wise and wonderful, they know that, no, 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 nothing could be further from the truth. Undoubtedly, uh, maybe, maybe this uh, entertainer president that we have, maybe he's unfit, but certainly none of these these others, certainly not. Well, speaking of Islam in America and how it is especially privileged, it is. <laughs> Regardless what the wonderful major media tell you, and that's including the major online movers and shakers, Islam is actually just like illegal immigrants given extra privileges above and beyond those of Christians, of Christianity, of citizens. But, and yes, there are Muslims who are citizens. But there again, I was likening it to these extra constitutional rights and privileges that are given to non-citizens, over-citizens, over and above citizens. But speaking of Islam in America... And the 1993 World Trade Center bombing that narrowly failed to cause mass, mass casualties. It still resulted in deaths. Well, Hillary, dear old Hillary and Bill were, of course, in charge. Hillary was in charge of the war room, among other things. But they were busily promoting Islam very heavily. They were busily demonizing Christianity and patriot militias if they were white. <laughs> if the members were white, that is. And they were engaging in a war against people who were grieved to the core over the evils, the institutional evils of induced abortion, infanticide, and so forth. 
And they dredged up laws that were never intended to be used against good, godly, righteous, law-abiding people, but were intended only to be used against the worst of the worst of organized crime, and they used them against good and godly, honorable, self-sacrificing family people. Dear old Hillary, that champion of women's rights and children's rights and so forth. Well, I mentioned the other day that she took a knee, as it were, (laughs) proverbially by exploiting, shamelessly exploiting this little girl who's being, you know, mentored to be uh, the next Meghan Markle. who wanted to protest sexism and racism in America, this 11-year-old girl, uh, by taking a knee during the Pledge of Allegiance in her school. Well, Hillary, again, has jumped on that bandwagon to show what a fabulous, progressive leader she is. Back when Bill and Hill were in charge, of course, there were a number of key terrorist attacks that were committed. One was, of course, of the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I believe it's Alfred, and I'm thinking P, but that's probably wrong. Alfred Murrah Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, which was, in fact, an extremely damningly suspicious event which absolutely had active key involvement from Arab Muslims whom Bill and Hillary had spirited out of the United States of America and when they came back to the U.S. of A. they were not Questioned, they were not interrogated, they were not incarcerated. No. But Bill and Hill just interestingly enough did that, facilitated their escape, enabled them. And you might think, well, that's that doesn't mean anything, that's harmless. No, it's damning of Bill and Hill. And it goes on way beyond that. Little things like the matter of the 9-11-2001 terrorist, Islamo-fascist terrorist attack that included the crashing of a jet into the Pentagon. And there's been much, all kinds of uh, various different theorizing about that. But this much I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that Barbara Olson was aboard that jet. Barbara Olson was traveling to Los Angeles. Barbara Olson had written books about dear Hillary Rodham Clinton, and her most recent book had not been published. It was due to be released within the next couple weeks at the time of her death. On September 11th, 2001, assuming that's when she died. This was Ted Olson's wife. Theodore Olson, 
key staff member for George W. Bush. Solicitor General, I believe, but I know he argued cases successfully before the U.S. Supreme Court. And this is his wife, Barbara. And her latest expose on Hillary Rodham Clinton was due to be released by Regnery Publishing. Regnery, Regnery Publishing. And so what was the immediate response after the terrorist attacks? What do you think most people were doing? I mean, the news was on nonstop, literally on television, on the radio. The programs continued nonstop coverage of the terrorist attacks uh, and everybody coming up with every idea they had in their heads. And they mainly just kept reiterating certain party lines. But people, generally speaking, were in a state of shock, horror, grief, terror in many cases, I'm sure. But one individual was not. And that was William Jefferson Bill Big Bubba Clinton. He was so calm and cool and dispassionate and unaffected, strangely, puzzlingly, unaffected by the terrorist attack. He called Regnery Publishing, and he did his best in a schmooze offensive to quash this expose of Hillary that was due to be released. He appealed to them that in the interest, the national interest of healing the wounds caused across this nation on that day, that they needed to cancel publication of that book. That really, truly took place. Cold, calculating, premeditated Bill and Hill immediately seized on this opportunity, immediately following Barbara Olson's death, to insist that Regnery Publishing not release her most recent book, on Hillary and on Hillary's unquenchable thirst for power, ambition for the White House, and her presidential motives. Now, again, you may not think that's particularly damning, but I'm here to tell you that it is. Interestingly enough, all kinds of people from all walks of life, but especially from academia, made, immediately made all kinds of charges and have continued to that George W. Bush was directly responsible, not, not accidentally, not incompetently, but directly caused the terrorist attack. No, I've never believed that. 
One reason I've never believed that is because I've always known that Bill and Hillary were directly involved. But back to Islam in America. But before I continue, let me just say this is, after all is said and done, I'm Brad Thomas. And whatever is right and good and true in this program and accurate is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus. Whatever's wrong, lacking, erring is due to me. But yes, the Clintons were involved in other matters too. In addition to the, again, I believe it's Alfred P. Murrah building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Also the Gila Bend derailment, Amtrak derailment, terrorist attack, if you will. Also the World Trade Center bombing of 1993. And again, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, the World Trade Center and assorted, (laughs) combined, orchestrated attacks on September 11, 2001. But then, silly me, I've always believed that Hillary was directly involved, but with plausible deniability, directly involved in the takedown of John John, John Kennedy Jr., along with his wife and her sister, who were on their way to a wedding at Martha's Vineyard, I believe, at the time that their private plane crashed. But back to Islam in America, I mentioned in the previous program about the president revoking this extremely highest high-level security clearances of dear old John Brennan, John O. Brennan, former CIA director who converted to Islam sometime back while he was stationed overseas and who has been a champion for Islam, among other things. And all that was decried as just being terrible, 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 after all. How could you do such a thing? Well, guess what? These security clearances are to serve the purpose of these appointees, nominees, these high-ranking members of an administration to be able to do their jobs with maximum competency. But as John Q. Public, private citizen, who actually is a public member here with his role, his security role, security expert advisor role on MSNBC and whatever all else he's on, that whole family of, that whole group of stations, he doesn't deserve and he doesn't need, he doesn't merit security clearance. He doesn't deserve to have access to that information. He is not serving as CIA director. He's not serving as national intelligence director. He's serving as a media consultant. But a national security analyst for MSNBC and NBC News, 
Okay, the NBC family of networks. Dear old John O'Brennan, John Q. Citizen, that classified information that he was privy to is granted based on a need to know, a need to know basis. He has no need to know. And furthermore, he has shown himself to be unfit, as he uses the term with regard to President Trump, but to be unfit to have that access. He has misused his authority and lied about it. But that's my view, and that's the view of many others. But for this man who chose Islam over Christianity, who chose a religion, if you want to call it that, which actually, in addition to being a false religious entity, is an ideology, a political ideology, that at the core, at the root, is utterly totally, completely dedicated to, created to destroy Christianity and Jewry, to pervert the person of Jesus Christ into being not God the Son, not the Christ, not the Messiah, but instead an individual who can be used and so forth, as this particular group, sect there in Taos, New Mexico, chose to do. Well, much has been made concerning the president's attack, his war on the press, the poor, the poor, poor, poor press, right? It's kind of funny, really, I think, because... The president, of course, has been a masterful manipulator of the media in the past, right? At least he thinks so. I mean, I never was impressed. (laughs) But he got great press, didn't he? When he was running for president, when he was a presidential contender, when he had not received the nomination and it looked like there was no chance that he would win the nomination My word, he became the darling of the major media, of the media elites. He did. He became their darling. They puffed him. They promoted him the same way that William Randolph Hearst had his network of newspapers puff Billy Graham going way back when. Now, don't <laughs> I'm not saying there's a direct correlation or comparison there, okay? <laughs> no. But just saying it's a similar process here. The major media, the mainstream media elites, they promoted and puffed, lifted up, aggrandized. Donald Trump. Why did they do that? Is it because they liked him? No, they wanted the weakest, most vulnerable 
excuse of a candidate for the Republican nominee. And they saw him as an absolutely fatally flawed candidate, which in fact he was and is and is a fatally flawed man. But, I mean, we're all flawed, but he is fatally flawed in so many ways. They wanted him to be the Republican nominee. As long as it served their purposes, they praised him. They put him on the media day and night. They gave him so much free media, or it's called earned media, which is a complete, utter oxymoron. There's nothing earned about it. The major media elites, whether they happen to be the major networks of ABC, NBC, CBS, or whether they happen to be their affiliates like MSNBC and CNBC and these others like CNN in the wings, and now, of course, the new media powers like Slate Magazine and the Huffington Post and so forth, whatever they are, whether it happens to be the online versions of Wall Street Journal and Washington Post and New York Times and so forth, all of those, they promoted Donald Trump. They wanted him to succeed in becoming the Republican nominee. And as long as it served their purposes, they were on board. Was there some sort of, oh, I don't know, some illicit exchange of funds or quid pro quo with the Trump political campaign for that? No, 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 they didn't need to do anything of the kind because these others wanted Trump to be the nominee. Then he succeeded in becoming the nominee. So now it was Trump versus their candidate, Hillary. Now, some of them favored Bernie Sanders. But by and large, their candidate was Hillary, despite being a horrible candidate. Talk about fatally flawed. Despite being a horrible candidate and an exceedingly horrible person and what have you, (laughs) vicious, evil, wicked, you know, makes the wicked witch of of the West and so forth, uh, you know, pale by comparison. But now it was Trump versus their candidate. And so now <laughs> they withdrew their grace. They withdrew their favor. And they turned on him. And despite that, he succeeded in winning, which was nothing short of miraculous do not misunderstand me i am not saying god had anything to do with that this clearly is a case in point of what god references in the book of daniel about the worst of people worst of men becoming kings so forth but it is fascinating that now after that history which is absolute fact it is fascinating that the media again is having such problems with trump it is fascinating that trump is having this war with the press and so on and so forth and they with him it's just it, really it's just too ironic and too too funny frankly but uh Ah, Marjorie Pritchard, 
the deputy managing editor of the Boston Globe, which is owned, I believe, to this day by the owner of the Boston Red Sox. Marjorie oversees the paper's editorial page, and she called upon all newspapers nationwide to publish editorials pushing back against the president, against his rhetoric toward the media. And uh, lo and behold, she got her wish. (laughs) Her words were received as being from the Holy Grail, and more than 300 news organizations pledged their support, their undying support, to join the effort to link arms and join the effort and go on the offensive against the president. Uh, so that included the New York Times, shocker there, the old gray lady, so-called, and New York Post, <laughs> surprisingly, and St. Louis Post-Dispatch and San Jose Mercury News, to name a few. But nationwide, power players, big hitters, The only reason San Jose Mercury News is included there in my list is that that really is Silicon Valley. And uh, they they have some some sway, shall we say. Well, one fellow whom I have had no use for, uh, no regard for, no respect for, I thought made a very good point with regard to this, and that is Ari Fleischer. And Ari tweeted the following. Actually, I don't have a... Do I have a quote for him? Eh, maybe not. But he tweeted that what these newspapers were doing was they were colluding. They were in cahoots. They were committing collusion by having multiple newspapers print the same editorial message, which flies directly in the face of what editorials are supposed to be. They're supposed to be independent expressions, independent opinions. And yet here you have this orchestrated attack of the president via editorials across the nation, and that it amounted to collusion. And I think rightly so. And he said, he pointed out that uh, it (laughs) was exceedingly hypocritical for these media organizations to engage in this after Sinclair Broadcasting Group received uh, something less than glowing reports for running specific segments and commentary across their station group. But, again, opinion pages, what are they supposed to be, really? There are editorials, and then there are op-eds, or opinion editorials, but at the root, what are they supposed to be? Whether it is an editorial 
from you writing into your local newspaper, lots of luck with ever being printed if you're not the right kind of person, not the right kind of writer. If you're not writing what they want to print, lots of luck with it. But, or whether it happens to be written by editor-in-chief, managing editor, so forth, they're supposed to be independent expressions. But meanwhile, here are these journalistic professionals in these high and mighty positions in these major media outlets see fit to collude with one another to have a common message, right? To have this message which is the same from one to another to another to another because Trump is just so powerful. Uh, They need to do that. I mentioned in the previous program about this horrible excuse of a... uh, professor of some sort or other, uh, you know, the creative writing uh, professor at California State University at Fresno. And this woman who makes herself a champion for Islamist women everywhere, for Muslim women everywhere, an Arab-American, Muslim-American woman, Yes, she did write that Arab American, Muslim American. I, it's just, yeah. Well, she's a writing professor. What do you expect? But again, she gloats and she boasts, I will never be fired. I will never be fired. I can say anything with impunity. It doesn't matter how it disgraces and shames the institution which I represent, because I have tenure. And I will never be fired. I'm a woman. I'm an Arab-American woman. I'm an Arab-American Muslim woman. So just, you don't have a chance. You can't do anything about me. Meanwhile, we had more primaries here this past Tuesday. And (laughs) let me digress for a moment. You know, Omarosa, whom I could not stand, I did watch Apprentice Season 1 and Apprentice Season 2 way back when, and I wrote to the creator of, creator, producer, executive producer of The Apprentice, last name Burnett, I believe, as I recall, anyway, about a major problem on one of the programs where it was just, they made shocking mistakes, blunders, and I never heard back. But anyway, recommending that they get somebody in there such as myself for quality control to see that that kind of thing didn't happen again. Uh, But anyway, Omarosa, I could not stand her. I could not abide her. She was just absolutely unbearable. And, you know, the statement that has been being thrown all over, she's claiming that President Trump is being this terrible, onerous, racist, that he referred to her as a dog. Well, what I do know about the president is that he's vulgar and crude and a womanizer 
adulterer, and so on and so forth. Do you remember uh, with regard to his interview with with Billy Boy, Billy Bush, and so on and so forth, and the things he said? But he is always referred to women by that numerical scale of attractiveness, right? About a 10 or whatever. I mean, he just has a different way of thinking from anything I can comprehend. (laughs) But I know for a fact, I just automatically, instantly know that when he refers to a woman as a dog, he is referring derogatorily to her appearance. It's not racial. Okay? It is deplorable, but it's not racial. Okay? I mean, you know, oh, but anyway, uh, she can make it out to be something else if she wants to. Now, if you go to the biblical use of the word, which the president doesn't, dog is used to refer to sodomites, to male sodomites and to male sodomite prostitutes. That's not how the president was using the word. He was not using it with regard to gross, profane sin like that. He was not using it with regard to race. He was using it with regard to appearance. And personally, despite the fact that I cannot abide Omarosa, I do not consider her to be an unattractive woman. Not that I'm attracted to her, but I don't consider her to be an ugly woman or anything like that. But, on the other hand, if you were watching the primaries, I saw this story online, and I saw this individual, and I thought, oh my gosh, she's ugly. I didn't say it. I said it now, but I didn't say it, but I thought it. I was struck by how exceedingly, horrendously, horribly far from attractive, not not from homely, not not from plain, not from homely, but ugly that, that this person was. Ugly, and I thought, wow, that's uh, surprising that they were able to get elected. No, no, not surprising at all. It was Vermont, and it wasn't a woman. It was a former man who chose to have himself you know, maimed and become an it. That doesn't transform him into a woman. Just means he's a freak. Yes, he's a freak. Oh, I know we can't say things like that. Just like for decades, you couldn't call sodomites queers. But now they, but they've always called themselves that. And now, of course, they've gone and they have added queer to their designation. So, for instance, the LGBT organizations, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender organization is now LGBTQ for queer. They can call one another queer, just like blacks can call themselves one another by the N-word and do it, so many of them do it all the time. Sportscasters, sports commentators, as long as they're men of color, they do it with impunity all the time. But anyway, I digress. So let's go back here. Dear old Vermont, which prides itself on being free thinkers, you know, independent thinkers, they chose this Hallquist character, 
that I, for lack of a first name, I will call Chris Hallquist. Okay? A and they describe this individual as a transgender woman. No, that is not a woman. Surgery doesn't make a man a woman. It unmans a man, but it doesn't make a man a woman. And it doesn't make a woman a man. Okay, It doesn't work that way, folks. I mean, unless you are really smoking something strong that or something of that ilk that changes your, that alters your state of mind, no. But Vermonters, the Vermont Democrats, chose this creature as the Democrat gubernatorial nominee. The first Transgender candidate for governor among either major party. What a stride forward. What an outstanding accomplishment. And Anise Parker, the chief executive of the LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer victory fund. What did she say about this? She said, Vermont voters chose blank not because of her, no, not her, it's gender identity, non-identity, but because she, no, it is an open and authentic candidate, dot, 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 quote. That's right. So this Hallquist is authentic. <laughs> authentic. Authentic What? Okay, it was male. Now it pretends to be female. And all it succeeds in being is hideously ugly. But authentic. Vermont voters chose Hallquist for being an authentic candidate. Just too rich. Too rich, really. And in Minnesota... Minnesotans voting for Muslim woman, but back to Vermonters. Again, many of them took pride in this about voting for this creature because of what this one represented personally. But then others because of the political platform. Well, in Minnesota, Ilhan Omar was the winner in the primary. Ilhan is a Muslim and is in line to be one of the first Muslim women in Congress, along with Rashida Tiaib of Michigan. It's exciting. So we have Muslims representing Islam which is dedicated to the destruction of all freedom. And when they gain the upper hand, and when they are in power, when they are in control, they will destroy and eliminate all personal freedom, all liberty, and they will enforce their vicious, ruthless, monstrous, satanic regime on the United States of America, France, England, Sweden, you name it. 
But it's such a, a leap forward to have these in power. It's just, it's exciting. It really is exciting. So, something to look forward to. Meanwhile, yeah, headlines can be just a little bit dis- misleading, don't you think? Well, I saw this headline. It said, Colorado baker who refused to make cake for gays sues again. Oh, this terrible guy. Oh, my gosh. He wouldn't make a cake for some sweet sodomites, and he's suing again. What really is going on is the state of Colorado via its civil rights division is persecuting, hounding Jack Phillips, the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop. He refused to make a wedding cake for a couple sodomites. And it took years and had to go to the Supreme Court to overturn these rulings in Colorado. Well, now, now they're going after him because he refused to make a birthday cake for an attorney who, like Hallquist in Vermont, had himself maimed to become a pseudo-fraudulent sham female. And the state of Colorado is going after him again. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.